0: Well, good morning to all of you. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to begin our study, and we'll be going all over the place, but we'll start in Matthew chapter 9 this morning. And while you're turning there, just let me say that it's wonderful to be with you, and uh, thank you so much for the invitation to come speak, to come work with the kids this weekend, and just the warm reception that everybody has given me. This is such a wonderful group, and It's been such a blessing to be with all of you, especially to work with your kids and get to know them. It's just been a wonderful weekend, and I'm very grateful to have been here. Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. There's a wonderful little story there that I think we need to read. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, one of my favorite things that happened when I was in high school was when a teacher would give you a study guide. That was my favorite thing when they would give you that piece of paper front and back and they said, look, we're going to have a test coming up this coming Friday. Here's your study guide. And so if you want to do good on the test, what you got to do? Just know just know what's on this study guide. If you know exactly what's on this study guide, then you should never have any problem at all. You should be able to pass the test just fine. Now, sometimes they were dirty, rotten liars, and that wasn't true. But when it was true, it was great because there's tremendous clarity in that, isn't there? This is what you need to know, and you'll be fine. What I want you to see about this story that I think is really cool is that Jesus looks at these Pharisees and he says, here's your study guide. Verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, we, we all know about all the conflicts and controversies that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And honestly, that's something that's really strange about the ministry of Jesus. It's not, the way, it's not the way you would think it would go. That when God comes to earth, the people that he has the biggest problems with are the most religious people. You wouldn't expect those two people to butt heads as much as they do. And it's surprising that Jesus and the Pharisees are those who don't get along most of all during his ministry. And that seems really odd to us. But what we see here in Matthew chapter 9 is that Jesus, he at least helps us see if it's not the whole answer, it's a big chunk of the answer of why the Son of God has such a problem with the most religious people of the day. And the reason why is that they didn't know what this meant. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. It's interesting, if you turn a couple chapters over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, you'll see him reiterate this truth. It's actually kind of funny, you have that little episode in Matthew chapter 12 where they're picking heads of grain on the Sabbath day, and so the Pharisees get mad at Jesus his disciples, and then Jesus says this in verse 7, but if you had known what this means, I, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So three chapters later he says, hey, we still have a problem, you know Why? You didn't do what I told you to do. You didn't go reference the study guide and learn what this means. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to get on the same page as the Son of God, then one thing you definitely need to understand is what that powerful phrase means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. That phrase, that teaching, Shows us something fundamental about God Himself. It helps us understand ultimately deep down what God's desire is and what He really wants from you and me. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to do what the Pharisees never do never did. I want to take their study guide, and I want us to go and learn what that means so that we can understand what God really wants from us so that we can understand this fundamental truth about what God truly desires out of each and every one of us. So, one thing that I want you to appreciate is that this is going to take us all the way back into the Old Testament. If you look at Matthew 9 and Matthew 12, when you look at that phrase, you'll notice it's probably in all caps in your Bible. It's probably quoted in your Bible because Jesus, when he says that, he's quoting from the Old Testament. And he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Hosea. So, if you'll go there with me, Hosea chapter 5 is where we're going to start. Hosea is one of those minor prophets... One of those books that we don't study that often. It's in the, one of those hard places to find in your Bible. But Hosea chapter 5 is where, is where we're going to start. And this phrase really comes from a, from a verse in Hosea chapter 6. But what I want you to see about this, uh, this comment in the book of Hosea is that for the first five chapters, it's, it's, it's a really dark book that for the first five chapters of Hosea, the prophet is pronouncing doom and gloom upon the people because they have been unfaithful to the Lord and God is telling them that serious judgment is coming because they have been faithful. So he says this in verse 14, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear to pieces and go away. I will carry away and there will be none to deliver. I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. And so God looks at the people and he says, look, you guys have been unfaithful to me. You have not been doing what I've been asking you to do. And for that reason, I'm going to be like a lion to you. He says, I'm going to rip you up. And then the people respond at the beginning of chapter six. Listen to what they say. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Boy, didn't that just sound great. They say, look, God has come against us. Let me pause right here for a second. I forgot to, there we go, sorry. I always forget to do that. Forgive me. So they listen to what the prophet's saying. He's saying God is going to come in judgment against them. And they say, well, we got to do something about this, right? Right? Let's let's do something. Let's return to the Lord. We know that we need to go back. And you know what? He has wounded us. He has come in judgment against us a little bit, a little bit. But he can bandage us. He can heal us. He can make this better. So let's go back to God. And they even say this. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. He's going to bless us. He's going to help us flourish and thrive when we go back to him. So let's go back to God. Listen to how God responds in verse four. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud, and like the dew which goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings." So what you see when the prophet responds to the people, it's, you see that God is frustrated with them. He says, look, you say you're going to come back to me. You say you're going to renew this relationship with me and everything's going to be good again. But, but you know what? You, you say God's going to come to us like the spring showers. Well, I'll take your water metaphor. You know what? You're like, you're like morning dew. <laughs> you're there for a minute and then you're, you're gone. You just evaporate. And so you say you're going to come back to me. You say you're going to be faithful to me. You say you're going to be committed to me and our relationship together, but it never sticks. It never lasts. He sounds like a frustrated parent. What am I going to do with you? Because your loyalty is like the dew of the earth. It goes away early. And that's why he says what he says in verse 6. I delight in loyalty... ...rather than sacrifice... ...and in the knowledge of God... ...rather than burnt offerings. Now it's worth noting that... ...there in verse 6 you might be reading different words. right? My Bible says loyalty. Your Bible may say something like faithfulness. And those words are different... ...than the words that you see in the New Testament... ...when Jesus quotes it, right? Because what word did we have in the New Testament in Matthew 9? The word compassion. And you might have had a word like mercy... So we got all these different words flying around with this same quote. And it's worth wondering what exactly is going on with that. The truth is that that word in Hosea 6 and verse 6, I delight in loyalty, is one of the most beautiful words in the Hebrew language. And the reason why it's translated in so many different words is because it's hard to capture that idea with just one English word. And so the idea there is the Hebrew word Hesed, which you might have heard of before, which speaks to a covenant loving relationship that God wants to have with his people. And so the translators translate in all those different ways because all of those different words are aspects of what that word hesed means, right? It involves loyalty. It involves faithfulness. It involves mercy and compassion and love and all of those wonderful things. But that's what I want you to understand. And for our purposes, let's go ahead and say I desire faithfulness because that's what he's getting after in this passage. But you need to understand that what God is saying to his people here in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6 is, What I really want from you is a loving covenant relationship that we really honor. I want you to be faithful to our relationship. I desire faithfulness more than sacrifice. And so you might read that and you might think, well, what is God saying here? Is he saying that he didn't like sacrifices? Because I, I did my Bible reading this year and I actually made it through Exodus and Leviticus. And I know how much he likes when we kill animals. Like, he likes sacrifices, right? And he does. The point isn't that God doesn't like when you offer an animal to him. The, the point of this is that sacrifice is no substitute for loyalty. That sacrifices and right sacrifices, they are an outgrowth of something else that God really wants. What God wants more than anything else is for us to honor the covenant relationship we have with him. To love him enough to keep his commandments. Sacrifice. Just offering up a bunch of animals. That's no substitute for faithfulness to God. You know, you can pull that idea out of the Bible and you put it in your daily life and it becomes very, 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 very clear, very fast, right? So imagine you had a husband, right? And he just showered his wife with blessings, right? So every single day, every Monday he brings chocolates, every Tuesday he brings Twizzlers, every Wednesday he brings concert tickets, every Thursday and Friday he brings flowers. Whatever flower she loves the most. And he just showers her with gifts and gives her all of this stuff. But after he brings those flowers on Friday, he immediately leaves the house. He goes out and he sleeps with another woman. And he does this every single week. What's his wife going to say eventually? I don't care about the chocolates. I don't care about the flowers. I don't care about what you buy me and what you bring me. I don't care about any of that. Because what really matters to me is that you are faithful to our marriage relationship. Your sacrifices, your gifts, the things you buy for me, that's no substitute for you being faithful to our marriage. And that's the point that God is making in Hosea chapter 6. Actually, that's the point he's making in the entire book of Hosea because remember what he makes Hosea do as a a symbol to the people. He He makes Hosea marry a prostitute so... The people can understand how God feels about their relationship. He says, I feel like a husband and you are my unfaithful wife. You need to understand that your sacrifices are no substitute for your loyalty. Because what I want more than anything else is for you to be faithful to the covenant relationship we have together. If you really want to love God, you honor your covenant with him. You're faithful to him. Like a husband and a wife ought to be faithful to one another. The really cool thing about this is that you can see this not only in the book of Hosea, but you see this in all kinds of other places throughout scripture. The truth is that God has been telling us this for centuries. He's been screaming it at us. And so go with me a little bit further back in your Bible. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and we'll see this idea again. All the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we are here in the reign of King Saul. And you'll remember how this story goes in 1 Samuel chapter 15, right? Samuel tells Saul, I want, I, God wants you to go destroy the Amalekites. And he wants you to what? Utterly destroy everything. Kill everything. Don't save anything. Don't spare anything. I want you to destroy everything. And so Saul goes and he wins the battle and he kills a lot of stuff, but he doesn't keep the commandment of the Lord, does he? He keeps some of the nobles alive. He keeps the king alive and he saves some of the animals, which is why when Samuel comes, he says, what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? And Saul makes all kinds of excuses. But do you remember one of the excuses that he makes? Oh, we saved these animals. Why? We were going to sacrifice them to God. Isn't that good? You remember what Samuel says? Verse 22. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. There's the idea again. Do you see it? Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Also, if you go back just a couple other chapters, we see this again in the life of Saul. You remember what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 13? This is his first mistake. You remember he's gathering at Mishmash. I don't know if that's the way you say it, but that's the way I'm going to say it. He's gathering at Mishmash, and the Philistines are gathering against him, and they're amassing this tremendous army, and Saul's people are going away. And so he's looking at the numbers here, and things aren't going well, and he's really, really, really scared. But he has this one solace that he knows Samuel said, I'm going to come in seven days, and I'm going to offer a sacrifice before you go fight, right? And so he feels good about that until seven days passes and Samuel hasn't shown up. And so look what happens in verse 8, 1 Samuel 13, verse 8. Now he waited seven days according to the point of time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, and as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Samuel went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, "But because I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling at Mishmash, therefore I said, now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and I offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. I don't know about you, but whenever I read that story, I always feel bad for Saul. Or at least I used to feel bad for Saul, because I didn't think it was fair. Samuel said he was going to be there in seven days, and Samuel didn't show up. What's he supposed to do? Do you know what the point of that story is? The point of that story is it is better to go into battle having offered no sacrifice than to offer a sacrifice in a way that makes you be unfaithful to the commandment of God. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Again, the story shows us that sacrifice is no substitute for loyalty. And we'll pass by this, but maybe it's worth mentioning. But you can look in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, where he talks about God doesn't want rivers and rivers and rivers and rivers rivers and rivers of oil. He doesn't want thousands and thousands of burnt offerings. He wants something else. And you can look again at Psalm chapter 51, where we're told that the sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite spirit. God is not primarily interested in the gifts we offer him, in the animals that we kill. What God wants is covenant faithfulness to him. It's interesting how all this ties back to Mark chapter 12. One of the most well-known passages in the entire Bible. Go there with me. Mark chapter 12. Let's get back in the New Testament. Mark chapter 12 is a very well-known verse, very well-known passage. It's where one of the scribes comes to Jesus and asks him a question. Listen to what he says. Verse 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now listen to this, verse 32. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. I love the way, I love the way that he responds. Jesus says, hey, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Why? Because he gets it. He knows what God really wants. He knows that God's not really interested in all these animals and all these sacrifices. What God really wants is for you and me to have a heart that desires to honor him and be faithful to our relationship. And of course, again, the sacrifices of worship, the things that we offer to God, the good deeds that we do, those are things that are important. Those are things that are supposed to grow out of that heart. But the thing that God wants fundamentally from you and me is for us to love him enough to be faithful to him with everything that we've got. More than anything, God wants my loyalty and my faithfulness. Now, as we said at the beginning, the Pharisees did not understand what that meant. And for that reason, that caused them to get into some trouble with Jesus. And I think, I, I think if we understand what this means, if we learn what this means, it can help us avoid the mistakes that they made. And so as we bring this lesson to a close, there are several things, three things, that I want you to appreciate, three things you can learn when you understand what it means that God wants faithfulness and not sacrifice. And the first one is this. When you understand what that means, you will understand that more sacrifice does not validate less loyalty. That more sacrifice does not validate less loyalty. That was the mistake that Saul made. That was also the mistake that the Pharisees made. If you go to Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, that's that famous passage where Jesus is pronouncing all of those woes against the Pharisees. And he says this in Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. He says, look, Pharisees, you tithe all this stuff in your herb garden, and that's great. Like, don't stop doing it. But guess what? If you're not faithful to me, if you neglect faithfulness, it doesn't matter how much you tithe. You could do 15%, 20%, 35%, 50%, 75% of your cumin you could give to God. And it doesn't make up for the fact that you aren't faithful. No amount of sacrifice makes up for disloyalty or unfaithfulness. This is something else that we see in Matthew 7 in verse, verses 21 through 23. That famous passage, right? Right? That there will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do this? Did we not do this all in your name? And yet I will say to them, what? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's a window to the future telling us on the judgment day, there's going to be people who come to God who say, look, I may have not have been that faithful to you, but look at all the stuff that I did. More sacrifice. More sacrifice does not validate less loyalty. Loyalty. And that is something that we ought to understand. And we will understand when we understand what this means. Consider this secondly, though. It also teaches us that more rules don't make us more righteous. If you go back to Matthew chapter 12, we see that there. You know, that's the problem with what's going on in Matthew chapter 12. Some people try to look at this, look at this story where they're walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath... And they try to make a point about it that Jesus doesn't care about small sins, right? He cares about the big stuff. You know, don't do the big stuff wrong. But, but this small stuff, like breaking the Sabbath, like he doesn't really care about that. That's not the point of this story at all. You know, you could read through the old law, forwards and backwards and upside down. And you're never going to find that the disciples, when they walked through the grain fields on the Sabbath, did anything wrong against the law of God. What they violated was not scripture. What they violated was a tradition was another rule that the scribes and the Pharisees had made up and imposed upon men. And why did they do that? Because they thought more rules made them more righteous. The more we restrict you, the more we say you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. The more we go beyond God's law, the better we are. The less we let people do, the more righteous we are. But what we see in this passage is that's not true at all. In fact, understand this, brothers and sisters. That when we take God's law and we paste rules onto it, it does not make us more righteous. You know what it does? It actually makes us less faithful. And so we need to remember what they did not remember. That more rules do not make us more righteous. And finally, I want you to appreciate this. When we understand what this means, we'll see. That more sin doesn't make us less loved. And that takes us back to Matthew chapter 9, where we started. When Jesus was spending all this time with the tax collectors and the Pharisees, these terribly wicked people, those people who thought that they were more righteous, those Pharisees, They were upset with Jesus. They thought this was scandalous. They thought this was wrong. This was terribly wicked that Jesus would spend his time with these ungodly people. And it's when the Pharisees start their pearl clutching about Jesus spending time with sinners that Jesus quotes this phrase, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. And do you know why Jesus quotes it there? Do you know why he says that to them? Because they didn't see that. They didn't understand that. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you look at these sinful people. You look at these terribly wicked people and you think God's done with them. You think he doesn't care about them. You think he's not interested in them. But you know what? God desires compassion and not sacrifice. God desires faithfulness. And the reason why Jesus was attracted to these people was because that's the kind of heart they had despite what they'd done in their past, despite how wicked they had been and the terrible things that they'd been engaged in, the truth was that they wanted to be faithful to God now. That's what God really wants. For some reason, we think that... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) For some reason, we think That if Jesus came to earth, he would be most attracted to people who had the cleanest lives. That he would be most interested to the people who had the least amount of sins that they've committed in their entire lives. But that's not what interests him at all. Because the truth is, at the end of the day, there are no clean lives. And what Jesus was really attracted to more than anything else was repentance. What he was attracted to was when he found a heart that wanted to honor that covenant relationship despite what they had been guilty of in the past. And that's why Jesus says what he says in Matthew 21. This is our last passage. Go with me there. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. Where Jesus says, he says one of the most outrageous things, at least by man's standards, that he ever says in the entire Gospels. Matthew 21 28, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said son, go work today in the vineyard and he answered I will not, but afterward he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing and he said I will sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them truly I say to you That the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. What an amazing statement. That tax collectors and prostitutes are going to go to heaven before the religious elite. You know, we try to make spiritual calculations believing that some people are better than others. Some people are worse sinners than others. And Jesus says, that math doesn't work. That doesn't compute. The truth is, the truth is what God is really looking for. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at whether or not you really want to be faithful to him. Because that's what he really wants. Faithfulness, not sacrifice. And so I hope that you'll understand that if you're sitting here this morning and you feel like God's done with you and you feel like the life that you lived hasn't been good enough. It hasn't, by the way. But none of ours has. If you feel like he's done with you. If you feel like like he's cut you off. If you feel like your life has been too wicked. If you feel like he's not interested in you at all. You need to remember that what God really wants is faithfulness not sacrifice. And that if you have that kind of heart where you truly are ready to come to him. You truly are ready to give your life to him and not be like the morning dew, which passes away early, but to really give the rest of your life to Jesus and be committed to this this wonderful relationship that you have, then he's ready to take you. And so if you need to do anything about that, if you need to come back and confess some sin, if you need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins so that you can have that relationship with him, then we can help you do that. If you'll come to the front while we stand and while we sing.